KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. Here we go with the Bob Olin Show on KDAL. Bob, good morning. Welcome to uh, Wintry Weather. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I'll yeah. tell you. It uh, hit us pretty fast before Thanksgiving here. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Listen to your forecast. We are going to be a little warmer today. Is that correct? Today? Yeah, right around maybe low 30s today. And then uh, let's see, tomorrow will be uh, colder, around 30. Thursday looks to be uh, mid 20s. And by Friday, maybe upper teens with lows yeah. right around zero. Lows right around zero. Yeah, just single digits above, actually. So. Yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting. You know, so much of this uh, wonderful activity called gardening is related Mm -hmm. to the weather and the climate. You know, the great thing is uh, there's no monotony. There's always uh, weather to talk about in our area, isn't there, Dave? (laughs) Yeah, and you like the snow before it gets really cold, so I guess it's a good thing. Oh, I do. I like some snow on Mm -hmm. top of that. Um, You know, there might be one last opportunity. There isn't a lot of frost ground, so if people didn't get uh, maybe their tulip bulbs planted, now this may sound just a little bit crazy, but you get one last shot here to put them in the ground. I always tell people uh, you're not going to be able to plant these in the spring, and this would include garlic and include other uh, spring flowering and growing uh, plant material. You might consider uh, it's going to be a little warmer today. We've got a little snow uh, just Put them in the ground because uh, you don't have too many options if you don't get them in the ground. Uh, planting next spring is really not an option. Uh, they grow and then kind of fizzle out and never give you the flowers that you like. You would have to force your, your tulips. So that By that we mean you can put them in. You can refrigerate first so they have a little bit of a cold stock that goes on there and breaks some of the dormancy. And then, and then uh, using them in uh, uh, what we call a gravel bed or using a pea pea gravel and some water in a a transparent, clear uh, either vase or uh, some other kind of uh, container and then just letting them germinate so you'll get an indoor flower flower display. But you don't have too many options if you don't get some of these spring flowering bulbs in the ground. So that being said, uh, put on your sorrels and get out there. (laughs) Shuffle and just bunch them in the ground. I actually have done this myself on occasion where, um, I hate to admit it, but I do have a pickaxe with a broad uh, uh, blade on it, and I've chipped some some frost out of the ground, and I've dropped a few of these things in, and I was actually glad I did in the fall. But that's a little bit extreme just among those of us that... uh, uh, really have a, a garden gardening passion, Dave. Yeah, the go... very top of the the ground is frozen, but once you get up the, through the inch or so, it's okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you can still get at it and so forth. And of course, we got a listening audience that covers a, a broad range. We do have folks up the shore that listen. Lots of mm. big, lots of snow coming yeah. out. I think, I think in that North Shore area that it's uh, winter is here, and you've got a good blanket of snow. <laughs> Uh, we do want at least a couple of inches, so that four and a half inches at the airport isn't bad. I think they've had more up north. So, yeah, uh, 8 to 12, pretty common on the North Shore. And they got similar amounts uh, over the weekend on the South Shore, too. Yes, I know they did. So mm. actually, this is uh, this is pretty good uh, before those extremely cold temperatures, and we have a cold spell coming. So it's one bit of last shot, one last mm. opportunity to do a few things. Get a chance uh, if you're into this phenomenon called dormant seeding. That's where if you've got open 
ground and you want to put some seed in that, rake it in. If that's still an option, you don't have too much snow. Or even if you put some grass seed and other things on top of the snow, uh, we really want that seed to remain dormant. If you try this process too early, we get some moisture, then these uh, seedlings break and then it gets cold and they just all die in the process. So a dormant seed has to be done very late. You might have an opportunity to try some of that. You can do it with your grass seed. You can do it with uh, some of the real early emerging materials. Even um, they've done it with spinach and had some success with that. So uh, if you want to just play around and have a little fun, you can uh, you can spread a little seed now. And it has to remain dormant until... Uh, we come into the uh, spring months when the snow begins to melt and we have warmer temperatures. But that uh, dormant seeding process is definitely hit or miss, but this would be the time if you want to just have some fun with that. And actually, um, if you do it right, get lucky. It can be a very, very successful way of getting some of the uh, seeded material established early, Dave. I would imagine you can start paying attention to your indoor plants now. Yeah, we will be doing that, of course. Uh, right now at this point, uh, you know, very low light. Mm-hmm. So we, re- we really want to be conscious of the fact, let's not overwater. We've got drier conditions in the house right, right now, which pulls a little bit more moisture out of the leaf surface. But uh, everything is really shutting down. I call it kind of suspended animation right now. Just want to keep these plants alive. Uh, because light levels continue to decline here until, uh, of course, the winter solstice coming up here on the 21st of December. So things are going to be uh, slowing down. You don't want any fertility. You don't want to overwater. You want them just to just to take it easy and rest for a little bit here. And then when the days start really getting longer, we come into the new year. That's when we can take a little look at uh, more fertility, a little more water, uh, taping, taking some cuttings to propagation. But right now... The house plants, you just want to uh, let them adjust. Uh, obviously, uh, you know they will need a little bit of moisture, mm-hmm. but not not what they would need. And let's not overwater, particularly if we don't have drainage. You can pay a little bit of attention to uh, cleaning off the leaf surfaces, uh, getting a little more light if you can. If you uh, want to just clean the inside of your windows, I think that's fine. If you want to get a little bit of the dust off the leaf surface, particularly on not the real fine leaf materials like your African violets can be sensitive to any moisture droplets on the surface. With things like your Christmas cactus, your jade plants, other things that have a nice thick waxy leaf to them, a wax plant, a cortoya, uh, any of these, uh, you can clean up a little bit with a, uh, a very, very mild non-sudging detergent. I just don't like uh, to use a lot of dish detergent on these, but we've got some products out there that are... Uh, uh, they're kind of non-sudsing materials, and I will use one name brand here, Basic H, which is, is what we call a non-ionic soap, something that doesn't uh, clog up the uh, the pores in the leaf surface. You know, uh, green plants have got what we call stomata, which are cell, uh, specialized cells that open and close for this exchange of oxygen. Remember, again, with photosynthesis in a green plant, we've got uh, carbon dioxide being brought into the plant and oxygen being expelled. This has to occur through these uh, pores that open and close. They're very unique, and, you know, you look at the marvelous uh, adaptions to nature. So we've got this porous system of the leaf surface that are nearly microscopic. You can't see it. You don't want to clog those pores up with a lot of dish soap and other things. So I hear... I hear this uh, when we talk about soaps. We're talking about the chemical definition. We're not talking about uh, uh, dish soap and other things. But there are some 
soaps that are just designed for a washing plant, and those those are available. Or you can use, and I mentioned this uh, base gauge product, which doesn't suds and doesn't clog. And there are some other types of insecticidal soaps if you have an insect problem, but they're not your bath soaps or your dish soaps, uh, some of these materials can actually clog the leaf surface, and we do want to do that. But cleaning them up, actually temperature, room temperature water uh, will work for you. Uh, we talk a little bit about the high humidity that uh, plants uh, struggle with this time of year. If you can bump up the humidity in your house a little bit, um, that can be very useful. And we can talk about humidifiers. We can talk about uh, what we call pebble trays. Uh, just mm-hmm. a pan of water doesn't work very well because you've got a lot of surface tension on that water, so not a lot evaporates out in the room. But you can take a shallow uh, pan, and you can put some marbles in there or pea gravel and, and uh, some water in there, and then you increase the surface area where you can evaporate some of this material. And uh, that's what we call a pebble tray. You can group plants together so they actually, as they're respiring, in other words, this exchange of both moisture as well as carbon dioxide and oxygen, you can put them together so you have create kind of a little microclimate there where the relative humidity is just a little bit higher. So many of our homes get very, very dry as the furnace kicks in, and and uh, we've got a lot of uh, actually a little more sophisticated, comfortable heating systems now, but we tend to have very low relative humidities. So we'd really like to get relative humidities up above uh, 40% or so, and oftentimes they'll drop down to 5 or 10%. Uh, plants struggle with that, so they'd like a little bit more humidity. They'd like a little bit more light. You can consider shifting maybe to some of the windows that have a southern, uh, western, or eastern exposure. The north side can be particularly challenging, particularly this time of year. But just let them go and uh, take good care of them. Don't overwater. Uh, control any insect pests that you might have and uh, just uh, let them go into this uh, dormancy period and then we can talk more about when we'll start uh, fertilizing and uh, moving along a little later in the year. After you're done washing the leaves, I assume you don't want to put some Simonize or turtle wax on there to shine them up. No, we don't want any <laughs> shines. We don't want any, anything like that there. All right. Uh, it's kind of what I thought. products on the market, but I think this is just pretty, <laughs> pretty simple stuff. All uh, right. Wash with a soap-free water will do for you and uh, improve the light a little bit as you can. Uh, maybe some fluorescent lights if you really are determined, but just let them go dormant at this time. I suppose regular old light doesn't work. you got to get the uh, special, uh, what, sunlight-type lamps? Well, again, there's a lot of products sold out there, yeah. but for most green plants, uh, we like fluorescent lights. And mm. if you've got a, just a shop light fixer, uh, you can use a little bit of that to augment, but most of our house plants are designed, or the reason that we've selected them as house plants is yeah. they really will tolerate low light periods. So let's not worry about it, but let's try to push with fertility or with too much water this time of year, and it'll be okay. Uh, if you want things to flower, flowering does take more light. So mm-hmm. once again, some type of a supplement and uh, a fluorescent bank with uh, a mix of both warm and cool light is actually about as good as uh, so many of these actual uh, grow lights that can be very expensive. Unless you're a specialized orchid grower or something else, I think fluorescents work uh, as well for you, Dave. Alrighty, we'll take a little break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here at 928 from KDAO. Well, Bob, talking indoor plants, I noticed some of the stores already getting the poinsettias 
in and uh, ready for your holiday decorating. Uh, is it too early to get those? Can you keep them around till Christmas from now? Well, you certainly can. You know, I've noticed as well that we kind of miss Thanksgiving. They jump right into Christmas, <laughs> don't they? They almost oh. miss uh, Halloween. They're jumping up uh, some some oh. Christmas stuff before Halloween's over. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of shocking. And uh, <laughs> Thanksgiving, one of my favorite holidays, getting together yeah. with family, and I happen to really, really enjoy that uh, Thanksgiving meal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I tend to be a big eater. And uh, I love that turkey, so I don't want to miss Thanksgiving and rush right into Christmas, that's Uh, for sure. That's for sure. But we will have an opportunity. We'll talk a little bit as we go along here, some really great uh, Christmas gifts for the gardeners. You know, gardening Mm. is not just a a little deal. It's uh, the the largest, uh, uh, most uh, thoroughly used hobby in the United States. I'm really... uh, a little surprised by that, but uh, it's a big deal for a lot of people, whether it's indoor gardening, whether it's a container or two, whether it's uh, now people are very conscious of uh, eating habits and uh, a lot of edibles being grown out there, certainly a lot of perennials, a lot of discussion about uh, pollinator gardens, the importance of uh, providing good habitat for the pollinating insects as well as beautiful butterflies, the monarchs and whatnot. It's uh, It's very, very significant. And uh, we're very fortunate. We have many gardening opportunities for just about everybody up here. We've, I work with, of course, our master gardeners, who we appreciate all of their many, many contributions. And uh, they're doing a lot of work with houseplants, houseplant availability, and to folks in assisted living facilities where their mobility is limited, and yet they can still access uh, some indoor gardening. So there's a little bit of something for everybody. And uh, it's uh, gardening is kind of a it's kind of a healing, uh, health promoting type of activity in so many so many different ways, psychologically as well as physically and mentally. I think it uh, it has its place. So, a lot of gardeners out there. There's a lot of really kind of fun gifts, which I uh, I think when we get a little closer, we don't want to rush the season, so I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on some of these things. But uh, boy, there's some really nice. Uh, nice things that people can uh, do. We'll, we'll, we'll probably do that a little early, so if people have to get some of these things online, right. Dave, uh, we'll give them a, a little heads up. But I've noticed the catalogs are coming earlier and earlier. We must be just pushing the season on just about everything, because I've, I've already got uh, maybe 10 um, catalogs that have come through the mail, and those are always fun, and uh, they got my interest, of course. I'm taking a little look at uh, newer varieties. We try to always... Uh, trial some of these materials so we're just abreast and we're always looking for shorter season varieties here uh so i've noticed that notice some price hikes on a few of the real specialized things that i didn't like to see but another i guess that's what comes with the territory right now just about everywhere but uh i think um it's encouraging to see the catalogs and uh, the fact that uh they are full color and have not diminished in size in any way. So that's a good indication that um, gardening is still going to be real big and real big next year. You know, we look back at this year. I want to touch on one thing real quickly because I had the question the other day about protecting with straw and mulch and hay and what's the difference and so forth. So uh, we like that snow for insulating. If you've got tender perennials, and this would be some of your spring flowering bulbs, uh, it would be uh, certainly the flower buds and strawberries. I know we've got a number of listeners that are uh, putting strawberry plants. There's nothing like a locally grown strawberry. There's a little bit of fussing around that goes with them. I will admit that uh, to, to establish a good 
uh, strawberry patch. You got to get the right varieties. You got to get the weeds under control. Um, sometimes you have some insect issues that will limit production, but the quality is sensational. Uh, some of the new varieties, June bearing varieties, uh, they're just uh, spectacular. Something like you won't be able to ever buy in the store. So there's some real benefits uh, to making that effort. Uh, the flower buds are set up in the fall of the year. Uh, they will take cooler temperatures. These 20s that we've had uh, are just fine. We actually want to acclimate some of these flower buds to those slightly cooler temperatures. We don't want to get spawned too early. We don't want to want them to stay growing. We want them to just kind of get into this dormant period, but we don't want them exposed, the flower buds now, to certainly anything below uh, maybe 20 degrees. Use that as a breaking point. So we've got colder temperatures and that coming. So if you haven't had a chance to cover your strawberry patch or if you've got any other tender perennials, Maybe you've got some flowering perennials that are really zone four or zone five, and uh, if we can get them through the winter, some of those can be spectacular, but they will require some mulching as well. So we're going to cover with something, and uh, straw mulch, straw incidentally is the, uh, that's the stem of a grain, typically wheat in this area or barley, and uh, we're, we're going to actually cover with the, the straw is the shaft of the grain. So uh, it contains these air cells and air pockets. So for insulating value, you want to think about trapped air. And in the case of straw, it works better than hay. Hay is, uh, you know, whether we're talking alfalfa or things, it's animal feed, and it has some insulating value, but it doesn't have that same composition. So you're not buying hay. If you're going to buy something, you're going to buy a good quality straw bale. If you can find weed fish straw, and they can guarantee that. And a lot of this is actually grown out a little bit farther west. And our local vendors will oftentimes bring in a semi-load from North Dakota or Montana because it's uh, typically wheat areas and wheat straw, and it's weed-free in many cases. Uh, they've controlled the, weed, the weeds in those production areas so that they don't have competition with their main crop. So much of this straw uh, that does come in from these production areas is, is weed-free, so that's something to shoot for if you can find it. Uh, if not, uh, let's cover with something for these sensitive materials. Leaves, uh, we've talked about that. Leaves, so we have an abundance. But anything that compresses, so if you get leaves and you get these wet, heavy snows that compresses, that takes all the air out of there and you lose the insulating value, so if you're going to use leaves for maximum insulating value, let's get them in a, a plastic garbage bag and let's use what we call a pillow pack on the outside. This certainly is what's done down at the Duluth Rose Garden where we've got hybrid tea roses, which are uh, sensitive to colder temperatures, so they need to be protected in some way. Many of those are dug in, what we call the minister tip, where we get them down in the ground for protection, then covered with a a pack, uh, a uh, garbage bag filled with leaves so we retain uh, this loft. So we want to think it's no different than in a jacket or something else. You want to retain uh, those wrapped air cells for uh, good quality insulation. This is where the snow, if we get the snow certainly along the North Shore, if this is retained, uh, they've got a good uh, snow blanket. Uh, that's probably the best insulation out there. Same thing there in the Wisconsin side where we've got some nice heavy snowfalls early before the real cold temperatures. But Dave, in that forecast, uh, we're looking at zero or many places probably be below zero coming up over the next week or so. That's really quite early for these cold temperatures. So uh, that can be, uh, that can set us up for the for the winter and if you have anything that's uh, frost sensitive uh, let's get that protected 
the other thing, if you haven't protected you know, your newly planted uh, apple trees, as an example, before the snow gets too deep, uh, let's get some kind of a plastic collar around them. Uh, get out to the local hardware store, get some drain tile, and I've got one or two I'm going to have to do this with myself. We've got an inch or two of snow on the ground. I want to make sure that we get those protected. Unfortunately, we lose a lot of uh, very tender bark trees. It doesn't have to be an apple. It can be your maple or anything else that you put in the landscape, anything that's gone in in the last three, four years. It takes about five years to get a good bark that will resist uh, some of the voles in particular, the field mice and the voles, which tend to, tend to uh, feed right under that snow blanket. So they can do a lot of damage. Uh, they're hungry, of course, so they bump into an apple tree and they'll just girdle it. And That's pretty much... Uh, the end of that tree and you're going to have to plant again a lot of this tree material it's been difficult to find there's been so much interest in planting ever since the pandemic uh, that it's been difficult to find quality uh, tree material and it gets sold out very quickly and some of the varieties that we want at least and the price uh, prices are up everywhere so you might have 30 40 50 60 dollars in a tree with no protection uh, that's dangerous. So before the snow gets too deep, uh, if you've got those trees, you put them in the ground, you definitely want to get some kind of protection. At minimum, you can get a tree wrap out there, but you're much better off with some kind of a plastic cylinder. You can buy these horticultural cylinders, or you can just use this black drain tile. You just don't want contact between the plastic and the bark, so buy something that's at least four or five inches in diameter, slit it and get it around that tree as far as you possibly can. But if we were to get two, three, four inches uh, or feet even of snow, that point it's very hard to protect. So, And and we can get these voles that uh, they do so much damage. I would be willing to bet we lose a third of all the trees we put in the ground. I know that's not uh, that's good for the industry, maybe because they're constantly replacing trees. But that's not their intent. They'll provide a lot of information for you on on how to protect. But before we get too much snow, if you've got new trees, smooth bark trees, let's get them protected. Very very important, Dave. Now we got four inches of snow on the ground already, and more probably uh, today and tonight. If you're going to insulate with straw, do we need to remove the snow and put the straw down, or put it on top of the snow? No, I just put it on top of the snow, and actually that'll probably retain the snow a little bit longer, too. That snow, again, that blanket is a wonderful insulator, and actually you don't want it to melt down. We get ice then Mm -hmm. on top of that, so if you put some snow on or put some straw on top of that, uh, that'll that'll keep it from freezing and getting too cold there. So I think you can just apply that on top of there, Dave. Sounds good. We're at 941. We'll take another break. The Bob Olin Show continues on KDAL. All right, Bob Owen Show continues. Bob, you mentioned you've got about 10 catalogs in the mail already. For the, I have. <laughs> it's interesting <laughs> that they're still putting out catalogs with the explosion of online uh, purchasing. Isn't that something? And, you know, I've got, obviously, access to both, but right. I just love those catalogs. And I'll <laughs> spread them out. Maybe I'm just old school, huh, yeah. Dave? I don't know. But uh, the nice thing about that is it's so much easier. I mean, you can flip to... You're going to buy tomatoes, so just uh, flip mm-hmm. to the uh, tomato section of each of these catalogs, compare one versus another, and uh, there are, incidentally, there are always going to be new tomatoes. They cross very readily, and there are so many varieties out there. You know, we're always always kind of looking, and they they will feature some of these things. Now, it must work for them because I, right. it has to be expensive to print these full-color catalogs and put them in the mail and so forth, so they must be generating uh, – mm-hmm 
a significant uh, sales volume for people. So I'm I'm very happy. Actually, it's it's some of my uh, my happy reading as I go through the winter months. <laughs> well, you mentioned there are there are shortages too of some things. You might want to order early just to make sure you get what you're looking for. Yeah, I've uh, I've been caught that way myself. Assuming again that uh, some varieties which I really favor and have typically been available in abundance, uh, mm-hmm. got a lot of new gardeners out there. And then you know we also always can have these crop failures in seed. And I've, I'm looking at a couple of varieties where the price jump was so dramatic, and I'll have to track that back with some of the reps and see was that really so much additional demand or was that just a shortage so there can be shortages on uh, on some of these things uh, they you know these seed production areas which are actually now spread throughout the world but we've got a lot of production of course in the western part of the united states which is just about ideal you really want probably hot dry irrigated land for seed production so a lot of that comes out of idaho and and uh, farther west uh, they've got seed production areas and sometimes they can experience we've had some uh, fungal disease problems and there can be a shortage that way so you know it's a little early now but i'm thinking we got to look about uh, january february and uh, if you've got varieties that you're really pleased with and and of course there are some that are are quite special and for us with a short growing season that becomes important we had a good growing season dave it's kind of interesting where the rest of the world seems like they're really struggling with uh, some of the warming temperatures apparently associated with climate change we didn't have that we we had a remarkably average year, and we pulled together some of the weather statistics, and we never had, um, I think we had one or two days that were above 90, and we never had really warmer conditions, and we had adequate moisture. We got a little dry, but then we followed up with some moisture. Same thing here. We just had some rain, which was very beneficial, actually, this last uh, wet period we had when we didn't have frost in the ground in most cases, and we were able to get some of that moisture. Very important for a lot of our perennial material trees shrubs uh, we really want that moisture to get in there and to soak in in the fall because obviously they're staying alive through the winter there's not a lot of active growth uh, we think of the evergreens um, they still are photosynthesizing they've got green tissue up there and their green needles so they're still using a little bit of this moisture and of course you get down just in a little ways and predict some snow on the ground and there's still liquid moisture down there for them to pull up so we really uh, we're quite fortunate. Uh, I, I look back, you know, we consider ourselves at a little bit of a disadvantage. Uh, uh, we have so many people that uh, will travel a little bit farther south in the southern Wisconsin. I, I hear all the time about the, the tremendous farmers markets they have down in the Madison area. So we have challenges growing some of these short season uh, plants, but nonetheless, quality. I think I will argue that our quality is is spectacular. We get the long days, we get the cooler nights, we retain sugars. Uh, we have beautiful uh, flowering crops here because again, the the sunlight which drives so much of the color and so forth. So, I don't think we really have to take a backseat to anyone in this last year, uh, last couple of years actually, where we haven't had the typical uh, intense heat. We haven't had the typical rainfall events, which has been characteristic of of a lot of this uh, climate change that's been going on. We've had these real torrential downpours and a lot of flooding. We had that in the northern part. I, I shouldn't uh, back away from that. It was very wet up in the northern part of our county, St. Louis County, Lake, so forth, in that border uh, land region. 
they had quite a bit of flooding, and it was really uh, pretty moist for them. But for the rest of us, it was just about the right amount of moisture. We were so close to average, we were within a fraction of an inch of the precipitation and a fraction of the degree of average temperatures night and day, which day temperatures, night temperatures, both are critical. And uh, we were just about average. And average I'll take in any given year rather than some of these extremes, Dave. Bob, you mentioned there are thousands of uh, tomatoes and varieties to choose from. How do you pick uh, what you want to try? I mean, is Obviously, there's only a few that will grow good up here, but it's just personal choice. You have to pick them out of a catalog, so what do you look for? Well, I think uh, that's really a good question because you're right. Uh, people say uh, I, had, I had someone that wanted me to put together a top ten list, and they mm-hmm. gave me uh, half an hour to do it. It was <laughs> Uh, in which I, I started opening catalogs, and I could access 1,500 varieties, wow. and I'm, uh, I, I think there are 15,000 out there. Uh, tomatoes do cross very readily, and consequently, they're always looking for the latest and the greatest, and we got some new ones. Some of this is going to be personal preference. Right. Uh, some of it's going to be what can you manage. And in the case of tomatoes, we've got... Uh, two big groups and uh, determinants, which tend to grow to about three, four feet in height. They're a little easier to manage. And then we got determinants, which grow considerably taller than that. They can grow six, seven, eight feet in height. More of a challenge to manage, but the indeterminates, some of the older heirloom varieties are all indeterminate. Many of the new introductions are indeterminate. So actually, one of the the things that I'm challenging myself to do is come up with easier, better ways of running these up or running them out in some way so we can handle those those very long, aggressive uh, plants and still take advantage of some of the new varieties. But as you point out, some of it's going to be personal preference. I think most people like sweet, so they're they're really looking for higher sugar content tomatoes, and this is true of so many of our cherry tomatoes. Uh, some of the new varieties are, are very, very nice sweet. And, um, again, you've got to be able to handle that bigger plant, but nonetheless, uh, they're very desirable. If we take a look at some of our table slicers, we, of course, will, will want slicers. It's kind of interesting as we've selected early productivity and just overall productivity, we lost some of the flavors. So they're coming back. They're back crossing with a lot of the heirlooms, the original tomatoes, which which uh, have some problems. I mean, they're later maturing, and they're very disease-prone. But they have some wonderful flavors. I'm talking about the brandy wines of the world, and uh, there's there's so many of those varieties which really are exceptional. But the breeders are aware of that now that people are conscious of the flavors, not just uh, the storing quality of the shipping quality uh, or the productivity, and they're back crossing with some of the heirlooms to try to pick up some of the flavors. So, even though we've got a lot of varieties out there. Uh, certainly, uh, we're always got our eyes open for short seasons. So, in terms of what you're going to pick, I think first we got to be able to get it mature. If you're running out of field run, you're not growing in a high tunnel or a um, greenhouse. Then you've got to be very conscious of making sure you've got slightly shorter season. We look at tomatoes maybe at about 70 or 75 days to maturity. And uh, these aren't necessarily our calendar days for us, for us but this is just a, a relative gauge of maturity. And uh, you want to stick to probably under 75 days there, just so we're sure that we get it. And the other thing, you know, we learn everything. We learn something every year. The, the weather is going to be variable. We just know that. And this last year, what happened, we had all of that very late snow, and we had snow in May. And and people kind of put off their their transplant purchases at the greenhouse. They got uh 
and I was guilty of some of this too. We had trouble getting in and and uh, used it kind of as an excuse. But uh, you've got to be conscious. You can't miss the season up here. I mentioned the fact, uh, you know, we got a lot more light. We got uh, a quality gardening season, but uh, we have to take advantage of some of that early light in June. So. Even though it was wet in May, you can't put it off. Get your plants purchased. If you're worried about frost sensitivity, the more I think about it, I think uh, we have to have some blankets, whether they be remay or just sheets, and <laughs> we've got to probably look at uh, maybe some getting these in the ground, uh, maybe in early June. And if we have the frost, which we have had just recently, up to we had one on June 9th, the year before last, which was shocking to me, or June 11th, actually, uh, maybe we've still got to get some of these plants in the ground and, and be ready to protect them. We think about protecting from the fall frost, but we might also want to be thinking about using those same covering materials to protect in the spring. So we, you know, I don't like to go too early because we want warmer soil temperatures, but I think with the tomato crop, a lot of people waited too late. Uh, maybe they had purchased the transplants, but they tend to harden off. So if we have one of these cool, wet springs, I think you really have to be ready. So as soon as we get a change in the temperature, we can't delay a week or two. We need to capture all of that uh, growing season up here this far north. So we learned a little, a few things from um, this last year's growing season, which should have been nearly ideal for a lot of things. But uh, in the case of the tomato crop, a lot of tomatoes didn't really ripen and mature because we missed that early part of the season. We were just a little, a little lulled into. Uh, um, uh, delaying our planning when we shouldn't have been. So we'll, we'll follow that. The good thing about a live program like this is we can kind of track things, and that's one thing that uh, I think a lot of people learned this year, that you can't delay. Uh, the season moves on, or the light moves on, so you've got to make sure that uh, you don't want to go too early, but you don't want to miss the first part of the season either, Dave. All right. Uh, we will uh, wrap things up here in just a bit. More of the Bob Olin Show coming up. First, we'll take this break. All right, wrapping up the Bob Olin Show here on the 15th of November already in the snow. Bob, uh, kind of a change in direction, I guess, for the farmer's market, right? Yeah, we've got, of course, we're switching to, to trees mm -hmm. there now and some of the Christmas trees. And, you know, they're, they've always kind of run out of these, so it's a good time to get <laughs> in there and do a little shopping locally. Right. But it might be just a little early. Again, I'm yeah. I'm trying to back off. I don't want to join the rest <laughs> of the game. Like I say, I've got this wonderful list of uh, Christmas ideas for yeah. uh, for gardeners, but we're going to delay just a little bit on Well, you that. keep your tree up until February, so you, well, you, I, you, you I, want I, to wait till I, the last minute. It's one of my it's one of my favorite yeah. outdoor uh, indoor plants actually, and I always uh, you know we've talked about nice fresh tree and uh, locally produced. That's one thing about the Northland we've got we're growing all these trees. The rest of the world wants they actually ship a lot of out of Minnesota and Wisconsin that go farther south. We've got a great variety to pick from, and we've got uh, good local growers, so we're we're fortunate that way. And of course, I'm a, I love a natural tree. And uh, you know we uh, we use it for the for the whole season well into February typically, which is a little unusual, and I don't know that most people are going to go along with that. But uh, uh, yeah, I, I'll put it up a little later and let it in just a little bit later. But Dave, I have one chance. You know, we talk about uh, the cold moving in. We talk about winter starting. Uh, and I talked a little bit about still taking advantage of protecting you. planted uh, new apple trees. You planted new smoothbark tree, maybe a maple or something in your landscape. Uh, we certainly want to protect. I want to emphasize that. Get that collar out there. I see so many that we lose every year. And then um, 
you could also just take that pruning shear. And one thing we'll talk about for Christmas gifts, quality pruning material, quality tools. But uh, you got a nice pruning shear. Sometimes it only takes one or two uh, strategic cuts, but you want to wait until things are dormant. And that either has to be done now or very late winter when there's all kinds of snow out there, which might be an advantage. You get a little more elevation out of some of that. But uh, while you're out there protecting, uh, again, if you've got a double leader or something, go out one or two strategic cuts to bring that pruning shears out with you as well. (laughs) Hey, Bob, uh, we've got to run. I know you do, Dave. We'll talk with you next week. You bet. Next Tuesday, it's another Bob Olin show right here on KDIL.